Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your own risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Ugly, Young Grognard, and I'm kicking it to you with another Nard Bite. And in this Nard Bite, this tasty, crunchy, chewy, sweet, lovely little Nard Bite, we're going to be talking about civilizations or towns, villages, hamlets, thorps, cities, megacities, metropoli, whatever you want to call them. We're going to talk about those big places full of people that your people end up engaging with. So I guess to start this conversation off, in the last episode of the podcast, our party had gone into Dustwind, which I guess I would argue as the DM is probably one of the more flavorful and interesting locations that the party are going to visit in Amaroth in this campaign, which I guess we kind of peaked on that one, huh? But it's an interesting place, definitely off the beaten path. It's magic. There's a lot of weird, funky stuff going on. And I think that using that almost as like our example, we can talk about what I might describe as sort of the three pillars that I use when trying to generate a town or a village or a city or something for the players to engage with. So um, I guess to start it off easy, I guess the three pillars for me are the order, the culture, and the hooks. And so I guess uh, first and foremost, when we talk about order, in like a civilization, I think about things like the government, or I think about things like the laws. I even think about things like potentially religion. Religion's an interesting one. The economy also, because they kind of dabble in on that cultural order divide. But I guess when I start talking about like order in a civilization, uh, Ronnie, Anthony, uh, do either of you guys have any ideas of like standouts in like fantasy cities you've dealt with or fantasy towns you've dealt with where like a place was really well defined for you based on like it's strange government or it's, I guess, good representation of government or laws or restrictions or anything like that. <laughs> well, something that was interesting, I was thinking of when we entered Dustwind, it was more of just, we didn't, we weren't faced with that right away. We kind of just got pulled right into as any traveler would, but when I compare it to entering Eagleheart, we just went straight to the center of the government. <laughs> it was interesting to see how our status like affected our status in that space affected how we were treated by the government. The Eagle Heart, they knew exactly where they were. They brought the important people. We didn't even interact with the culture, the people of that place. We just went straight for the head of it. Where with Dustwin, because we weren't known who we were, we just kind of came in like anyone else. It was a bit more of a sense of discovery. Yeah, that, that strange Joe Pesci goblin had a, had a certain turn of phrase that he used when Jarzak was trying to haggle him for a, a, for a better deal on a book. And he said that you guys don't have any dust on your fingers. There's no dust in your hair. And the idea that like he could smell on you that you were not locals and could tell that you weren't like part of the social hierarchy. Like you were not of the cast of like a dust wind like citizen. You know what I mean? So kind of mm-hmm. like you said, where it's like, 
you know, and those other ones where you got to engage with the public, you guys engaged with the public so hard on this one that even the public didn't want you there. And you got to experience that because there was no hand holding, like, here's your carriage that leads you right up to the super house where you talk to super queen and you guys are very important and we play horns for you. Instead, you walked into this desert city and they're just like, who the fuck are you? And you're like, oh, we don't belong here. What about you, Anthony? Can you think of any interesting little tidbits or anything of, of places that feel very defined by a government system? I know a government system kind of like easily defines any place, but are there any that stick out as being like, as a player, it really hits you. And it doesn't even have to be my campaign. Well, I was going to say one of the easy examples that I can think of from just fantasy in general is uh, Minas Tirith uh, from you know, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, because that's interesting because it's sort of got a placeholder government uh which you know, becomes very important to the story and the whole setup of the city itself is interesting because it wasn't originally built as a city it was originally built as, as a fort and the people kind of have to live with the fallout of being in a place where you were never actually supposed to live there i mean that's true I do think that there's something to be said about how, like, if you take those three pillars that I was talking about before, and you kind of remember to put them into motion, it really makes for interesting world building where you say something like, okay, let's make a cool and interesting example city right now. Okay, so the order here is that it's run only by old people. Okay, so how the hell did this come to be? And that's where you can get really interesting with the lore or the backstory, maybe there was, I don't know, some ancient lich guy who managed to somehow stave off the evil effects of being a lich. And for that reason, they all just assumed because he was so old and so wise, he knew everything. That's what kept his heart from turning to evil, right? I, I don't know. And for that reason, they just revere the elderly as knowing much and having the most goodness in their heart or something like that. Like, I love the idea that these sort of civilizations can almost like backwards storyline themselves in and you don't have to build up a history to get to a point. Instead, you can pick some random thing and say like, no, this is a kleptocracy. The whole city is run by thievery and everything attained is from what you've taken. How the fuck do you make that work, right? But that's where the fun of a fantasy city comes from is having to explain it. And then when the players deal with it, it's like, oh, holy cow, somehow this machine is working. This jalopy of a city that runs off thievery has been going strong for millennia. How did this work? How is this continuing to work? And I think that that's what adds a lot of like that flavor is uncovering it. Like Ronnie had said about how you like, you guys kind of like swam out from the shoreline into the heart of the city and you didn't get to like get dropped off on a boat. You know what I mean? So I do think that that whole letting players in on that side of it is, is definitely a really interesting way of going about it. But okay. And I think, you know, whenever you talk about order and you talk about this sort of stuff, we kind of naturally also have to turn to the people and start talking about things like the culture, which just so happens to be the second pillar here. So I guess when we talk about the word culture, I think we all know what this means, but like, what are some things that stick out to you guys as players that like, when you're a character in the game, what culture usually stands out to you? Like what elements do you feel like as a character you actively come into contact with? Because as a DM, I have to like pick which ways I want to express culture, right? And have it make the most sense to get the biggest message across with the least amount said. So like, what things do you think really get you into like, oh, we're in a different place now? I think that it would be um, the way, like the way that, hmm, 
Okay, so I'm just going to make it super simple and say the types of shelter that people in a place choose to take. Okay. Yes, um, because you know, the, the houses that people build in a given city or town are really going to be descriptive of you know, every other way that they live. True. Because you know, you're not going to tell me that you know, a, a temporary Native American settlement is at all similar to a European city because they're all living in shelters. For instance, so the, the the ways that people choose to live um, can definitely say a lot about the character of a place. I mean, you could almost take that one step further and say, like, showing the daily living of a common person and like their home will tell you a lot about that. It'll tell you what kind of like outside influences have on their lives, such as like the weather, the the the, the climate. You could say outside attacking forces if you enter a civilization that's covered in like spears and redoubts and stuff like that like all these things built as if they're constantly under siege but then when you get inside it's all like a bunch of like makeshift houses like i mean what does that say about this place are they constantly under warfare and for that reason i mean you get a pretty good idea about the people who are going to live here it almost informs you what those npcs are going to sound like and talk like if they're constantly under warfare they're constantly on the move you can imagine what kind of people they'll be. What do you think, Ronnie? Oh, I was going to say food. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> it's, plays it's into what it we too. interact with the most, I feel like. I, like, I can't think of any time I've gone into and in some form of place to stay, a market where food isn't brought up, because that's something your character can actually interact with. And in a funny way, you need to interact with it. And as you do, you kind of realize, like, oh, does my character even know what this type of food is what like this tells me more about what's the lifestyle place what's the economy like what what kind of livestock are they gathering like does this look like things that's normal in this area not normal and it, it gives you a little bit more interaction with at least the locality because you have to you, you're forced to interact with people to right. get it and it so. does kind of tell you a bit more about the order and the structure too because mm -hmm. when you think about the structure between you know, villages, towns, and cities, to put it most simple and in fifth edition terms, it's like, you know, your villages gather resources. And that's why you'll have a fishing village or you'll have like, you know, a village that collects lumber or whatever. And you have towns and cities where this stuff is processed. So it's like, when you think about eating meals in a fishing village, it's probably not going to be tons of diverse food. It's going to be like what can be spared, what is most readily available. Whereas if you go to the city, you've got all different kinds of cultures coming together. People are taking that food and, and augmenting it and making it new and strange. So you can tell a lot about a city or a village by how well you want to like, you know, enhance the food or, or like play down the food. If you go to an inn in a fishing village and it's like a fish head soup full of this thick, like boogery gruel, it tells you a lot about the people. Do they eat this with pride? Is it gross, but they know it's like, it's what you have to do? Is it served warm? Is it like they eat it all at the same time? Do they do something before they eat it? What do they do the fish head when they're done? Like, I don't know. But taking that food can teach you so much about their reverence for the world outside of them, how much they give thanks for what they have. Like, do they take pleasure and pride in what they do? Or is food, like you said, kind of a necessary step that has to happen? Is it just so it happens that fish heads and gruel is the cheapest meal on the menu and that's what everybody's agreed is the best thing to do? And that's and just to go a little bit further, if we're like, since we're an adventuring party, we kind of move from typically social group to social group to figure out, to solve our issues. Like that can tell you a lot too. So like yeah. the lower class will definitely be eating something very different 
than the upper. Like I think of like I think we maybe saw a little bit more eagle heart, like thinking of the food. We had dining with the queen versus what we see the peasants eating. I think it'd give a little bit more of an idea of just like the amount. Yeah, the disparities mm-hmm. of wealth and whatnot. And it is interesting to think also just you know, just speaking literary, like themes here, the idea that when you were in the queen's court and eating that giant meal, you guys were probably under more social pressures and threats than ever before when you were doing anything in a town or a city. Because you think there was guards at that meeting hiding in the shadows in the corners. Everybody was judging you for everything you did. Everybody was watching you the whole time. Yeah, I couldn't use a fork, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I kept cleaning him, yeah. So it's like, it's interesting to think how much like even that social practices can kind of, the world outside will recognize that you're from the world outside. You know what I mean? Like they'll know when you're sitting down to dinner, like you're an outsider. Do they take that warmly? Are they like, oh, cool, tell me of your lands? Or are they just like, you're not from here, you dirty, smelly goblin? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and so it's interesting to think how much that the commonplace things that we kind of take for granted in games are the places where you can derive the most like cultural wealth for, for players. And taking something as simple as like washing your hands. I think uh, like the, I don't, I don't want to bastardize historical stuff here, but I think about more often than not, this takes up way too much space in my brain, but I think about like Viking dinner culture and how like there was like a wash basin that got passed down from the most important person in the dining hall down to the lowliest person and they never changed the water. So everybody would wash their hands, wash their face, clean their mouth and everything and slide it to the left. And it's just this, like, this is just repulsive. It is disgusting to be washing with like 50 other people's washing water, but nobody thought anything of it. It was just a cultural acceptance. And I'm like, something so simple as washing your hands can get turned into something as disgusting, but also culturally significant as that. And so I think if ever I could give advice to anybody who's running a game or making an interesting settlement is take something so simple as like fucking taking your shoes off at the door and make it way more culturally significant than you would normally have expected it to be. You know what I mean? Or washing your hands or brushing your hair. I I think also of like the braiding of hair as another cultural thing in like um, the Wheel of Time series and how much that means to like womanhood but once the characters leave like their tiny little village that they start off in all of a sudden it has no importance anywhere and the characters come to realize that and they're like hey i'm a woman in the world's eye not even in my village i'm not gonna braid my hair like i'm a grown-ass woman i do what i want you know what i mean yeah that definitely says a lot about those characters too the one who chooses to continue to braid her hair does so because she expects to go home one day right so i suppose Now we can probably go on to the third and final little detail here, and that's talking about player hooks. And I think one of the most important parts of making any settlement or village or anything like that. And I'm not even saying like, oh, adventure locations. I'm saying that like, there should always be seeds of a living world that the players can interact with. And I think that as a player, I think people need to, whenever they enter a settlement, feel like there's things to interact with. I was describing it earlier before we started recording, but I I mentioned how like, the two types of ways of engaging with a settlement is like to walk in, see something that needs to be done or something that can be interacted with and doing it or having your dungeon master read like, you know, a five page description while you guys all have your faces pressed against the windows of the carriage, not being allowed to actually step out and do anything about anything. You know what I mean? 
And I think that one of the most impressive ways to really make a game come to life is to just add in a little tassel of, of something that the players can interact with. I think about the last episode, how we had beggars and how Anton being all about charity and protecting people and providing for them, how much that just spoke to him as a character and how he got to engage with that in a way that like, if they weren't there, it's not like anything would be different about Anton, but there is substance there that Anton could take a five minute aside and really like, you know, harden that detail about himself. So I guess as players, like, do you feel sometimes that it gets a little bit murky and cloudy when there's so much going on that we kind of like, why are we in this town again? Like we, we got tied up in a bar fight and then we had to settle some score with some guy. That lady was screaming, so we had to go help her. Aren't we here to find a dragon? Like, do you feel like that actually happens? Or do you feel that usually as gamers that like you love to be just kind of, I don't know, smacked with all different kinds of interactive buttons and towns to push? Well, it, dep it depends on the campaign, uh, right? Like it can happen. I don't think it's happened in this one. Like, I mean, uh, other than, you know, some of the small villages that we haven't spent a lot of time in, I haven't forgotten the names of uh, any of the cities we've been to yet. So I sure. think that that says something. But do you feel like in a game, it's super important for you guys to like stride into a village and like see things that are just like existent in a way that's not what you guys would typically agree with or things that need to be changed or done that like outside eyes coming in here are the only ones who can really make a difference about it. Like for me as a dungeon master, I think that providing you guys like these outlets to plug yourselves into is the most important part for making a world feel like it's alive. It's one thing to describe the town as being like a stereotypical medieval fantasy place. But as soon as I say that and say, oh, but there's also wanted posters all over the place. And there's the sign that says like, this guy was a thief and these people are like, they all look like they're starving. And it's like, oh, okay. There's money to be gained here. There's a job to be done. There's a bad guy on the loose. That one single thread of a wanted poster can do so much for every character. You know, everybody's got their motivations. So I think it's really neat to kind of like, as a DM, throw up a random card and be like, I don't know, fucking figure it out what do you guys do about beggar children like what do you do about a wanted poster and sometimes you guys don't care other times we derail a game and we turn completely towards it and i think that that's the beauty of playing a game with other people is like i don't know improving off each other i make one detail somebody finds something about it i didn't even think about but i think that the most important part here is that there just needs to be outlets for you guys to plug into for a city or a thing to feel alive so i don't know what do you guys think as like kind of the last point here? What do you think are like the biggest like, oh shit, I need to engage with this as like a player in a game? Like, what do you think in a city or a town or a village? What things do you think really like pull you to the front of your seat as a player? And you start chucking dice right away. I think, unless I, I didn't know if you wanted to go first, Anthony. No, go ahead. At least for Anton, it really rides home to like, how well do I actually know my character? what moral conundrums could happen that it's like if Anton didn't like if Anton didn't go with the bigger children it's like what <laughs> I have to like really think of like maybe that's not something me as a person would do but like I have to really take into account like what would my character do in these situations am I actually playing my character accurately to how I build them out and I can f discover more about my character as I go deeper into like those situations and such like I think if 
I think we found out further in the game, like they weren't actually beggar children. They were, they might've not, they might've been there by choice and not by. Well, yeah. I mean, the way they kind of pulled that back was to say that like they were in those positions because even like, like terrible people yeah. were forcing them to do that to, uh, you know, attain wealth to bring back to them. So it's like, it was part of this whole ugly little situation, but yeah. So what do you think, Anthony? What are, what are some things about like venturing into towns, villages, and cities? Like what things stick out to you as a player that you most likely will interact with? Uh, so I like yeah, yeah, the little details, right? You know, the, the character of a place. How is this different from where we were before? Because if the city is just going to be, you know, copy and paste, from the last one, well, I guess there's nothing to engage with here that I couldn't engage with anywhere else in the game world. It's uh, it's all about being like this place is miles away from your before uh, from where you were before, and it feels like it. Right, and I think that for me, like whenever I get the opportunity to play, or even as a dungeon master, like I just I think that combative hooks aren't really that much fun. I think the idea of walking into a bar and having it become like this big tavern brawl is it's, you know, it's fine. It has its place, but it gets really old really quick. And I think instead making more like complex and difficult, like we are outsiders in a different culture kind of hooks, I think make for more interesting gameplay and make for more engaging gameplay that really, like you were saying, Anthony, drive home the fact you're a stranger in a strange land. And like you were saying, Ronnie, kind of like challenge you as a player to be like, well, even though I might look the other way for these people who are treating people this way, like my character, on the other hand, is so dedicated to the cause of making sure that this is not this way. Like, I have to stand up. You know what I mean? And I think that these moves, the reason why I like them most, sort of to put a capstone on this episode, is the main purpose, I think, of any place is to help define the person that's in it. And it's like every backdrop a character is in should be sort of like, the negative to their positive. And it should be really popping characters up and characters should always stand on their background and be like, yeah, I'm Anton in a city full of poverty. And that defines me because reason X, Y, and Z. Like, yeah, I'm Norhill in a place full of strange characters and strange people, but I don't know, I don't have a home now. And this is strange to see so much that doesn't belong that, you know what I mean? And I, I just think that the whole purpose of any good place is that it really pops people forward and makes characters come alive. But okay, I, I guess I think that's a good enough place to end on. Does anybody have any final thoughts? No, I think, I think, we, oh, covered yeah, I think we covered everything. Yeah, yeah, take that every book ever that tried to explain how to make a city. We did it in fifty well, I mean, fucking yeah, minutes. I, I could give a write I could give a writing <laughs> lesson on it, but I don't think that's the point of Nard Bites. No. That's Nard Rights. But anyway, um, and remember kids, know your Nard rights. Um all right, did anybody have anything they want to plug? This time no. No, not this time. Anything you're reading that's really good, Ronnie? Um I mean, just if read I read a good book called Pachinko. If you want to learn about the Japanese and Korean culture, that was an interesting book. I mean, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. man, that's a shame. You could have talked about things you might implement, things that talk about like how it's different from our culture. And then you could, you know, Ronnie, here we go. I have to make a part two now. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll save that for Nard Rights, episode one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, where we do the Nard wrongs and make them Nard Rights. There you go. 
Yeah, I'll say just because me and Anthony have been harping about this for a long time, go read The Wheel of Time. Just go go dive into those thousands of thousands of pages of goodness. But you will not regret it. No, not at all. You won't regret it or else. But that's all. Goodbye. Hey, everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.